term limits for Supreme Court justices? Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of May 6, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, justices on our highest court serve for life assuming good behavior. Nearly every other high court on the planet has moved to a system of age limits or term limits or both. Is it time for the U.S. to follow suit? And how likely is that to actually happen? Nick Tombalides, Executive Director of U.S. Term Limits, has all the answers, as usual. Hey, Nick. Hey, Phil. So last week, we heard from Andrew Yang, Democratic presidential candidate, who was talking about term limiting Supreme Court justices. And of course, we've heard this story from quite a few of the presidential candidates now and from activists. In fact, it's a it's really becoming sort of a consensus, at least on the Democratic side, that something needs to be done and that term limits might be that thing. Mm-hmm. I've been slow to warm up to this idea. It's not that I'm against it, and in fact, I'm for it. But it's just that when you and I talk about term limits for legislatures, Congress in particular, we're trying to improve representation, to improve competition in elections, to basically give people more access to the process, all these things that simply do not apply to the Supreme Court. And so it hasn't been of tremendous interest to me, even though I'm vaguely for it and I could see some benefits. But with this public interest in the subject, I've really started to spend more time thinking about it and warming up to the idea, and um, I'm in favor of it. How about you? Yeah, I am, absolutely. And there are some political motivations, I think, behind many of the folks who have come out for it in recent weeks. We don't care about political considerations here. We are the sanctuary from partisan politics. The question we ask is whether this is a good policy. You mentioned that there are no elections for Supreme Court justices. I think that actually underscores the reasons why this is needed. Thomas Jefferson, very start of our country, said that members of the judiciary have the same passions for party, the same passions for power and for privilege as elected officials, but their power is more dangerous because they are in office for life. Obviously, he couldn't conceive at that moment of a Congress that would also be in office for life. Uh, So we have both at this point. But the question that I ask is, do you think any government official should be able to hold power for life? In a democratic republic, the obvious answer to me is no. Lifetime power is a bad idea to begin with. That's what Congress has taught us. It breeds arrogance, corruption, irresponsible behavior. But when you combine lifetime power with a lack of checks and balances— then you get a very dangerous cocktail, and that is exactly what we have with the Supreme Court. Theoretically, they could be impeached. The last impeachment of a Supreme Court justice was in 1804, Samuel Chase. The uproar that that caused, because it was based largely on you know political aspects more than, than uh, terrible behavior, um, really made that possibility a dead letter for basically all of our history. Um, So we have these people that are completely uncheckable and in office Mm -hmm. for their entire lives. And the rest of the world has moved on from this. This wasn't our idea to give our high court lifetime tenure. Um, All of Europe has moved to either age limits or term limits or both. Uh, We are alone. You you don't even need to go to Europe. Uh, Most states have age limits for judges. Here in Florida, where we live, you can't serve as a judge. Um, You can't run for judge again if you've already turned 75. Uh, We actually have an an age limit here. So it's already in the United States. You don't even need to go to Europe. Oh, that's true. In fact, every state in the United States 
has either an age limit, term limit, or at least a retention election that puts some kind of check on the Supreme Court, except for one. Do you know which one that is? Uh, no, I don't. It's Rhode Island. Oh, okay. The one judge in Rhode Island go. doesn't have retention elections? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're right. <laughs> Right. It's really kind of had the opposite of its intended effect. The intent was if the judges can be in power for life, they're going to be independent and they're going to be insulated from politics. Instead, they've become more political. And I think both sides would agree with this. And they're kind of insulated from the Constitution, not insulated from politics. And we don't get the judicial hearings we deserve. Just as the process of elections for Congress is broken, the process of nominations for judges is broken. What we get are these disgraceful partisan circuses that would make P.T. Barnum look like a piker. One side is convinced the nominee is the devil incarnate. The other side is convinced he or she can do no wrong. No sane person can look at that and say that it's working. That's a very good point, and the politicization is quite real. The most common proposal out there is for an 18-year term limit for justices, which is a long time, which definitely insulates them and allows them to be independent, but at the same time also schedules when they end and would make it so that each president received two appointments to the Supreme Court in their first and third term. So you wouldn't have any more of that trying to game the retirement um, so that you can affect the makeup of the court after you leave. That is something that tournaments would absolutely cure. Hello, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits, and I have an update on our legislation in Washington, D.C. This week, three new co-sponsors joined. Arizona Senator Martha McSally and Missouri Senator Josh Hawley joined 13 other senators as co-sponsors on Ted Cruz's Senate Term Limits Resolution, SJR1. David Schweikert, congressman from Arizona's 6th Congressional District, co-sponsored Francis Rooney's Term Limits Resolution, HJR 20. HJR 20 now has 37 co-sponsors and sponsors in the U.S. House. These resolutions place three House and two Senate term limits on Congress members. Please contact your senators and representatives and ask them to co-sponsor SJR 1 and HJR 20. That's to say nothing, by the way, of the impact that being old and powerful can have on your brain. We've cited this on the podcast before. There was a guy at Harvard, David Labson. He said half of all people in their 80s can't make major financial decisions due to dementia. There are two um, people in their 80s on the court now. There was a study from Berkeley uh, showed people who hold power for too long have the same psychological effects as someone who's been in a traumatic accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury. Old age can cause decline. Power can cause brain damage. I think we're taking a tremendous risk by allowing life tenure for Congress and for the Supreme Court. Oh, we are, and we've seen it, and we'll see it more. Because if you think about the job of being a Supreme Court justice, it actually is something that's very comfortable for an older person to do, that is, from their point of view. I mean, first of all, it's a nice office. There's, there's actually not a tremendous workload. You get three and a half months off in summertime, um, and of course, we talked about lifetime tenure and no reduction in pay by law. Um, you get four law clerks to help you out. You can coast and last in that job until you are carted off. (laughs) And that is what we have been seeing in many cases. There was two things I think that really convinced me that Supreme Court tournaments were a good idea. When I first heard the idea of of having each president getting two um, so that it takes a lot of politics out of that, that really I found was very powerful to me. And the second thing was brought to my attention by uh, that talk show host, uh, Mark Levin who has a book about uh, Article 5 and all these 
um, amendments that he loved to see added to the Constitution. Well, he had a list of cases of Supreme Court justices that were problematic, and I didn't really realize this existed. Um, you know, people that had gone insane, uh, people that Fell had Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah, and, and most most recently, and the one that we're probably most familiar with is Thurgood Marshall. Um, in his waning years, uh, he apparently spent many hours in his chambers watching TV. That sounds like fun. In that. And, well, yeah, and, and his staff was doing the work for him, but he was really done with work Well, years before he actually left the court. <laughs> There's a reason, Phil, that the average American retires at age 66. We know our limits, and we know there's a time to walk away. Coincidentally, the average age of a Supreme Court justice is also 66. Isn't that amazing? At the same age most Americans retire, federal people on the federal bench believe that they're only getting started. And we, yeah, we wow. need to fix that. There's a huge discrepancy there. Yeah, the average retirement age for a Supreme Court justice is 80. The average. With presidential candidates talking about it, it this might have a tendency to get politicized. It is not a political issue in the slightest. Over 70% of Americans want uh, term limits for the Supreme Court. The proposal that you just talked about, the 18 years uh, where every president would get two picks, uh, that actually was um, the brainchild of one of the co-founders of the Federalist Society, which is considered a conservative-leaning um, think tank for uh, judges and lawyers. Um, so it's a proposal with widespread support, and we, we can't allow it to become politicized because it's just a, a good idea at its core. Well, everybody's about the bird. Nearly every congressional hearing can be seen as free advertising for the term limits movement. All the arguments about the irreplaceability of these wise and experienced individuals suddenly seems to fall away. Perhaps instead what we're seeing are insulated politicians who don't face serious electoral competition and whose experience, vast as it is, has become more and more remote from the experiences of individual Americans. In April of last year, CNBC chronicled how Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg was grilled by several veteran congressional luminaries, including Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois. Would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Uh, no. Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah. How do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. Do you track devices that an individual who uses Facebook has that is connected to the device that they use for their Facebook connection, but not necessarily connected to Facebook? I'm not, I'm not sure the answer to that question. And Representative Frank Pallone of New Jersey. Will you commit to changing all the user default settings to minimize to the greatest extent possible the collection and, user, and use of users' data? Congressman, this is a complex issue that I think is deserves more than a one-word answer. Well, again, that's disappointing to me. Paul Jacob is a board member of U.S. Terminalists and president of the Liberty Initiative Fund. The incumbency versus progressives. The Democratic Party leadership is choosing machine politics over ushering in a new generation of leaders in the fundamental idea of democracy. 
charged Alexandra Rojas, the young executive director of Justice Democrats. She specifically assails the DCCC's blacklist of political professionals working for the Democratic Party candidates who dare to challenge Democratic incumbents in next year's Democratic primaries. The Intercept reports that at least four consultants dropped challenger Marie Newman's campaign under pressure from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee's new policy to cut off vendors working with primary challengers. Newman is formidable, having come within two percentage points of Representative Dan Lipinski in the 2018 Illinois Democratic primary. Now, the National Abortion Rights Action League, Democracy for America, and other progressive groups are decrying a DCCC blacklist policy that protects anti-choice, anti-LGBTQ corporate Democrats like Dan Lipinski. And progressives have reason for disgust. Lipinski is a protected insider. For the last 36 years, there has been a Lipinski in Congress. Bill Lipinski, the current congressman's father, held the seat for 22 years before giving it to his son. And yes, giving is the correct word. In 2004, two months before the November election, while running unopposed for a 12th term, the incumbent resigned. Too late to trigger a special election wherein voters could make a choice. Instead, Bill's replacement was hand-picked by the Illinois District's Democratic Party Committee controlled by, you guessed it, Bill Lipinski. That insider group chose Bill's son, Daniel, who was then living in Kentucky. It was an open process, claimed the father. Today, per the blacklist, the DCCC says their policy doesn't discourage primary challengers. Well, I guess no one expects truth from a political machine. This is Common Sense. I'm Paul Jacob. For more common sense, go to thisiscommonsense.com. Are there any drawbacks to this idea? The idea of term limiting Supreme Court justices? Yeah, you know, I spent some time thinking about what the possible drawbacks could be, and I, it's very hard for me to uncover any drawbacks to this. Um, um, I think I think any drawbacks that you would see would be very parochial and very partisan, depending on which lens people view this through. So, for mm -hmm. example, it, you know, if you are a Democrat and a term limit opens up two Supreme Court seats for a Republican to nominate, you might be pissed off about that and vice yeah. versa. But that's the whole point. The Constitution, the rule of law, um, the process that guides uh, you know, checks and balances and, and the judiciary is not written for political purposes. It's written to do what's best for the country. And right. I think rotation in office is a central part of any well-functioning republic. So it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I guess if you are a, a pure political animal who's like, Republicans, win, win, win. Democrats win, win, win. You might be a little miffed by this at various points, but you can see the wisdom of doing it for the good of the country. Right. Very much like term limits for the legislature. When your guy gets term limited, you might be frustrated. When the other guy's getting term limited, you're all for it. But overall, most people are for it and for good reason. We've seen this with the president. Um, Republicans weren't complaining that George W. Bush had to leave. Uh, Democrats weren't really complaining that Barack Obama had to leave. Both sides at this point pretty much understand that term limits are uh, a very good idea. Right. Also in the news, I noted another new poll, and I know we love polls here because they always break our way. <laughs> uh, here's a poll that came out that Scott Rasmussen came out with this just this last week that I thought was fascinating, and it has to do with uh, term limits, at least indirectly. 
And that is that 53% uh, told this pollster that political corruption is a national crisis in the United States. 53%. And another 36% believe it's a significant problem, but not a crisis. I wasn't too impressed with 53%. I thought it was low. Um, So I also dug deeper into the data. And once you really unpack it, you find 89% of Americans are troubled by political corruption. I want to know who who are the 10% who don't think corruption is a problem? Well, they're, you know, they're in the Congress and they're, they're probably their wives and children and cousins and The friends and family members, friends and family members (laughs) of politicians, these people who are getting these sweet gigs as lobbyists because their uncle or dad is elected. (laughs) But you've got to see, you've got to really have your head in the sand to not see the reality. One author that we recommend a lot on this podcast, we play his clips, is Larry Lessig, um, Harvard professor. He's an expert on corruption. He points out in his books, which are all great, by the way, that American corruption is not even hidden anymore. It is just out in the open. Politicians are transactional. It's like this gift economy. They rake in campaign cash, and then they dole out favors to those people without any shame in the world. And if you're just an ordinary citizen who's trying to get a lawmaker to listen to you, good freaking luck you probably won't even get you probably won't even get a meeting much less progress on on whatever your priorities are but if you're a lobbyist for big oil or big pharma and you want a subsidy you want to be protected from competition and you've cut this person some hefty checks he will be at your beck and call that is what modern corruption looks like that's what lessig talks about in his books um and we need to do a better job explaining that we need to explain it's not always the bag man who's just slipping cash to these congressmen. It is all out in the open now. It's dependency corruption. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, like you say, the, it is all out in the open, and, and this poll shows that people are seeing it. Um, you know, you say that we weren't impressed by 53%, and of course it is 89, really, when you take it all in. But what I found was really impressive is that Rasmussen um, had a list of 10 problems that are seen as crises in our country, and political corruption was number one amongst the voters that he polled um, as being the worst national crisis we're facing. This is more than, say, those that believe that illegal immigration is a national crisis or government deficits or climate change or poverty or student loan debt or overregulation or sexism, all these different things. The voters said, no, it's political corruption. Look around. Mainstream journalists do a lot of dumb things, but one of their worst is how they cover term limits. In every story, they literally dial up the politicians who are about to be termed out of office, about to lose all that clout, power, and wealth, and they say, hey, what do you think of this? Then they print the predictably slanted answers as fair and unbiased. I've never understood it. This is like asking inmates, should we lock the door to your asylum? Or asking, hey, Mr. Tobacco CEO, How do you feel about the new smoking ban? Term limits are designed to make politicians' lives uncomfortable. That's the whole point. Just as chickens will never love Colonel Sanders, politicians will never love this idea. And to even ask them is the worst media malpractice and conflict of interest one could ever imagine. Any journalist who does it should instantly be fired. Well, that's it for this week. Supreme Court term limits are a good idea as time has come. 
But the real battle for tournaments right now is still in Congress and the state legislatures, where tournaments are essential to fix these broken and corrupted institutions. The battle is particularly intense in Arizona and Missouri. If you live in these states, please go to tournaments.com and look for the current actions tab. There, you'll have the opportunity to contact your legislators to support these important bills. It's all teed up for you. The process will take you five minutes max. Please forward a link to the relevant page to anyone that you know who lives in these states. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to be reminded on Mondays about each new episode of No Uncertain Terms, please subscribe. You can use the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play, or iTunes. We'll be back next week. This podcast is made possible by the support of you, the American people, and your voluntary financial contributions, which can be made through our website at termlimits.com. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah. I go there all the time. They have a great ice cream shop. It's called Pops Ice Cream on US-1. If you like ice cream, it's great homemade ice cream. The pistachio is fantastic. It's the only pistachio ice cream you can get that has real pistachios in it. Most pistachio ice cream uses almonds. They're cutting corners. You go to Baskin-Robbins, Baskin-Robbins is a huge fraud. Their, their pistachio ice cream is fake news. But if you go to Pops Ice Cream on US-1, they use real pistachios. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah.